Coming to you from Orlando, Florida. Orlando, Florida. And streaming around the world. Around the world. You're now tuned in to the Sales Samurai Podcast, the only B2B sales podcast providing unfiltered, unapologetic views and tactics directly from the sales trenches. Here's your host, Sam Capra. Well, welcome to another episode of the Sales Samurai. Thanks for listening. Before we begin, do us a favor, take a moment to subscribe and download. On today's show, we're going to be discussing one of my favorites, eight cold calling tactics that work. And I have an amazing guest for you guys today, Steve Richard, co-founder of ExecVision, a coaching and conversation intelligence software company. Steve, thanks for being on the show. Awesome, Sam. Glad to be here. And, and the fact that you you were checking out that post on LinkedIn all those years ago and months ago, and boom, here we are. You know what? I literally just learned, this tells you how savvy I am. I literally just learned maybe five months ago, a little bit before your post came out. It was four months. I'm looking at it okay. now. I'm having, I have a cheat sheet in front of me. I did not know how to save posts. Like I did not know the little three hamburger little thing you can click on and save so now I have a running list of all my favorite content that I go back and I pull. Like, it's amazing. I didn't know that either. Now I'm clicking on it on my side too. I never saw that. Feature on top of profile, save. What the heck? Yeah. The hamburger. I love it. I love it. I've been told that those little three dots are usually three lines. Is the, <laughs> it's known as the hamburger icon in the technology world. So I know. I, people say that. I told my daughter that's funny, getting off subject. I told my daughter I'm going to click on this hamburger because I was with her and I learned it. And she's like, where are you seeing a hamburger on the screen? <laughs> I'm like, that's for a later day, uh, honey. But I appreciate you coming on. For the audience, kind of give a little bit of a background. I know I've known you for a few years, but kind of give a little bit of a background about yourself and kind of what you've been up to over the last 15, 20 years, if you will. Yeah, got out of school, couldn't get a job as an investment banker. <laughs> no, seriously, $60,000 in school loans. Our family business is septic tanks. I said, I don't want to go into septic tank business. I worked at a company called Corporate Executive Board, the author of the Challenger Sale, lots of other stuff too. And at first I was a failing salesperson, which is very relevant to this conversation because there was a leaderboard. And I said, those people at the top of the leaderboard, those are my new best friends. I was literally number 89 out of 100. And one of those top five is actually my business partner to this day, a guy named David Stillman. So I went to one out of 100 just because I started doing the things that other people were doing that were working because my natural inclinations were not. Founded an outsourced appointment setting business called Voresight, which was uh, 20 or 30 SDRs, BDRs for hire. Built a sales training company for the top of the funnel, all prospecting, generating appointments. Uh, worked with over 200 companies there, doing a, a prospecting worldwide, training worldwide. Still do some prospecting training too for our exec vision customers. But then really the, the essence, the origin of exec vision was I'd look at these companies that were successful and not successful. And I'm like, what gives? They all have the same training. You know, like why, why did someone get really good and some other people just didn't change? And all came down to management, consistency, accountability, and using call recordings. Because if I can't inspect what's happening on a real call and I can't, can't do that at scale because there's a big pile of call recordings, I got to use transcription. That was the origin of exec vision is having the ability to actually measure what people are saying in calls and use it for coaching and training to get people better. To change behavior. That's amazing. I always love the origin story. And, and I love how you said, hey, I just, I didn't make it as an investment banker. And so I just kind of mimicked, I went into sales and I mimicked what better people were doing at the time to which made me better. I'm curious, that's what got you into sales. Like you kind of fell into it. Then you realized, hey, but what kept you that? Obviously you're extremely passionate. I see your post all the time, but what's the love for sales, if you will? What's kind of the background from that standpoint, Steve? When it goes in your mind from you, sales is used car sales, because that's all you know when you're in high school and college. Right. And at some point when I started to get good, a switch flipped when I realized this is what sales actually is. It's not what I thought it was. It's nothing to do with what I thought it was at all. And I realized that it's, a, it's about having the ability to really impact and influence how people's lives go, you know, in some strange way. I fell in love with it. And and in particular, I think the other thing, there was another turning point in founding a company, which we grew Voresight was about 40 or 45 employees. When we had exec vision at the same time, it was something like 30 employees. We were buying a lot of stuff. The other interesting thing is being on that, that side of the table where you're the buyer, not the seller, and really learning and studying and observing your dynamics as a buying group 
that was fascinating too. And I sort of fell in love with not just the selling, but the buying, both sides of the equation. It is science. It is art. It is something I learned something new about every single day. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because that's, I found that people that absolutely love this profession, love this craft, they love it because it's an ever-changing, right? It, the nuances of it are ever-changing, or they should be, right? Because we all know this, like what works today is either going to be oversaturated, everybody's going to jump on the bandwagon and just burn it to hell that breaks loose, or the prospect, the customer is constantly evolving, right? Their mindset, their acumen, their ability to do the research, that's growing. So you just got to keep pace in some, in some regards. Can I give you Quick, let me give you a concrete example. Yep. You know, that's what this sales samurai is all about. So InMail. There, right. there was a long time when InMail was working really well. We tested the hell out of it. InMail, I am calling it RIP, rest in peace. It is dead. <laughs> because if you run an A-B test, and I've got a lot of clients who have, and we have, and we do it from time to time, of email versus InMail with the same message, Sam. Don't, don't change anything about it. Same time of day, control the variables. InMail loses relative to email. You'll get fewer replies and fewer appointments if you're going cold outbound on InMail versus email. That's the sort of thing that just, it evolves over time. Or another interesting one with LinkedIn is sending a connection request. Recently, we're talking the last two, three months here, we've been measuring sending connection requests that you customize versus you don't. And I always customize my messages. I did too. It built into me my DNA. Guess what? It actually turns out now we're getting better. We're getting more connections when we don't customize them when we do. And the only thing I can think of is because as LinkedIn becomes more of a spam trap, what ends up happening is if you get a connection request and someone's customized the message, you actually immediately start thinking sales pitch and ignore or decline or whatever. You see what I'm saying? Right. So it's, and that's just one little tiny microcosm. We could do this all day, but the world evolves. Uh, But you want to talk during the pandemic, boy, did the world evolve. Some people are talking about dial to connect rates in the pandemic being bad. They weren't doing it right. If you had mobile numbers and you were calling at lunch, we were looking at through my business, we were measuring it 11 dials to get a connection with a director, VP, and C-level executive calling a mobile number at lunch. Why? They're sitting at their kitchen table at lunch. Right. But before they were with a colleague or they were with a customer or they were in an event. So there's just, if you're not constantly trying new things and testing and experimenting, you're missing the boat. Yeah. That's great context. And I love how you kind of just boil that back down to real world, what we're seeing and how fast things are changing. So I, I want to hop into our subject because this is something I did save and I refer back to quite a bit. But I want to get some context from you because what we're going to talk about is really the eight cold calling tactics that work. But there's a pre-log to there's some context. It says, let's define what works for you. Because really the title of that post was eight cold calling tactics that have the potential to work for you. And I, I like to clarify that because anyone thinks that there's a silver bullet in cold calling, they might want to stop listening now because we don't have a silver bullet. But what potentially has the opportunity of working for. So let's give a little context. What does that mean works for you, Steve? What you sell and who you sell to, Sam, dictates everything. And I want you to think about it this way. If I'm going to go into a casino and I'm just going to play a lot, I'm going to lose, right? Eventually, you're going to lose. If I go into a casino with the guys from MIT that count cards and I play enough, I'm going to win because they take that little house edge and they put it to their advantage. Or if I shave the dice and craps, but again, it depends on what game I'm playing. And it's right. the same with cold calling. So if, if I'm calling into a chief information security officer, the kinds of things that are going to work are going to be different than if I'm calling into a manager of a pet salon in a Main Street USA business would be different than if I'm calling a lower level manager level person in a HR for a mid-market company. What I sell and who I sell to dictate everything. Another thing is demand type. There are four demand types. There's commodity, same old, same old. There's evangelical. I didn't even know I could do that. Wow. There's, which is kind of what exact vision is. There's better mousetrap. Well, I already have a method of doing this thing today, but you're telling me I can do it better, faster, cheaper with this other way of doing it? And then finally, there's government regulation. Depending on those four... The, my approach for my marketplace is going to be completely different. You see what I'm saying? Right. So you got to Anybody who says, oh, this is the way you should always do it, baloney, don't listen to them. And that really kind of, from that, it cascades which of these eight tactics would potentially work the best for your business. Right. I love that piece. So Steve, and, and as we get into this, I'm assuming, and we're going to have this conversation, 
This really just boils down to A, understanding all those different nuances to your business, which you should understand, and then B, testing the hell out of it, right? I mean, these are things that you're going to be testing, what's working, what's not working, and then making iterations along the way. Is that fair to say? That's it. And it's simple because in some ways it kind of works the way we're not as scientific as people developing vaccines or anything, but it kind of works the same way where you go, okay, I got to do it enough times. I got to have a big enough sample size. And then I got to have a very clear way of measuring it. In this case, it's simple. How many appointments do we get that happen? Or how many opportunities do we create an actual full-fledged sales opportunity, not just a meeting, but it actually turns into a sales op in my funnel. Very, very easy to measure both those things and very clear if you're improving if that number goes up. Fantastic. So let's hop into the first one. I kind of want to tackle these things. I want to get your thoughts on because there were some real-life examples And I'm hoping you might send this to me afterwards. We'll put it in the show notes. But you actually incorporated some slides just from a visual standpoint. The first one is being use case customer story as one of the eight. Walk us through what that means and how you leverage that. What's the the method behind the madness? Yeah. So whenever you're talking about a customer story use case, PAR is a good acronym that comes around. Problem, action, result. You know, what you're telling me is not that uncommon. In our work with this customer... So we were working with Imperial Supplies as an exec vision customer. Uh, when we first started working with them, they had this, they were recording all their calls, but they had this big pile of call recordings. They didn't know what to do with them. So they ran into this challenge, the problem. They took an action, right? They then determined that they're going to get into a rhythm where everyone's going to be surfacing automatically two calls per week to coach. So basically taking a magnet to get the needles out of the haystack. And ultimately that resulted in Blank in their case, I think it was like, you know, onboarding a ramp times that cut it by 30%, increasing sales productivity by 20%, those kinds of things. So, yeah, I'm not surprised to hear you say that. We do work a lot with customers, this type of a customer who tells me blank. If you can name the customer, it's more powerful. Sometimes companies with confidentiality, they can't name the customer. So, so would you layer in here, Steve, because like you were saying, hey, test the hell out of it and start seeing the, the incremental growth, you know, good, bad, and different. As you're going through this exercise, is there value in saying, hey, if I do have that customer use case, the customer story, and it's really applicable to VPs of sales that work at a SaaS company, I'm just making this up as I go, and they're in the financial sector. Let me actually pull those individuals out and let me just call through those that are specific to this use case. Is that? That's it. So if you really want to get sophisticated in this, what you do is you do, you take a spreadsheet, you got your columns, you got your rows. In your columns, you put your personas. In your rows, you put your industry verticals. And then you fill in the use case and customer story for each of those. I'll give you another example. TransUnion is one of our customers. They said, we want to measure coaching. We have to measure coaching. We have a mandate for coaching. Their sales leaders, second-level leaders, put in place a management goal so there's accountability around call coaching, and they didn't have a way to measure it previously. Now they do. Again, different use case, different story different persona, different industry. See? Love that piece. So top is the title or the persona, if you will. And the the left-hand side is the industry. And then start filling in, I don't want to say script, but the talking point or the the use case, whatever it might be. applicable. The talking point on the use case or the the customer. And the reality is you don't need 100. You know, you need five. Because then you see some themes. And then there's some ones that you just kind of like, well, for that industry vertical and that persona, I'm just going to put an X because it doesn't apply. Yeah, makes sense. Let's move on number two, because this is one that I tend to lean on pretty heavily, new initiative. I mean, all these trigger systems out there around initiatives. Walk us through a new initiative and how to leverage that from a cold call tactic. Yeah. uh, So traditionally, we work in this market. However, companies in this other market, they wanted to accomplish this or overcome this challenge. They asked us. So we have a new initiative to better serve. Now, this one's extremely concrete for me because I had a sales training company. And the clients were telling me, Steve, I love this sales training content. How do we reinforce it? What are you going to do to help us reinforce the sales training content? That was the origin of exec vision. So we started using this in our own company and realized that, heck, we can actually really reinforce this training to mastery. So it was the marketplace that was asking for this new initiative. So now we have a new initiative to bring technology to reinforce sales training to a point of mastery. That's perfect. So is this, I know we we talked about this at the very top, there's four, like the evangelical, the commodity, those type of things. 
Is this more of an evangelical? Is this more of an evangelical play, or am I misreading? Evangelical or better mousetrap? No, that's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Okay. Or sometimes not commodity really, but government regulation. It can be like, hey, we were serving these companies with this professional service, maybe like consulting service or whatever. And one of the things they told me is they have to maintain compliance in this adjacent area. They asked us to help them stay compliant. So we developed a new initiative for that. Perfect. So on this new initiative, as you're talking through this with the client, like the one thing I have found, and I think people are really stretching when we talk about new initiatives and they get very vague in new initiatives and what they've been able to do with other customers. I guess where I'm going with this is, is this something that you has to be really concrete? Like, hey, we have worked with these customers, very specific to your industry, very specific to your role. That's very applicable to what you're doing. It can't be that vague, hey, we've helped drive ROI 5X that I'm sure you have a similar, it can't be, that's very vague, right, Steve? We're trying to get down into the weeds where, we, where they understand that we know their business and the challenges that they're facing. It's got to be concrete, preferably in kind of a more of a story format, just like I was saying before. Yep. Sales, and I'll, you know, here, here's another funny one. It's like the Bible where they say this begets, this begets, this begets. This. Right. When I first started my business, it was an outsourcing business, right? And we were hiring recent college grads, sticking them in Arlington, Virginia, putting them on the phone and getting them really good, really fast. And what happened is we had the clients over time, they were like, how come your people are less experienced than our people, but they outperform our people? We want to feed them whatever you're feeding them. Can you come teach us? So that was the origin of the sales training business is come teach us. Now, I didn't say it specific to an industry vertical there, but because it's such a natural flow of a storyline, it's a narrative, everyone like immediately gravitates toward it. It's got that story arc to it. I love that piece. And I know you're really big and I'm a big believer in storytelling. Like sales really should be storytelling. As you're portraying it or the value prop, whatever you want to kind of bucket it as, that's really what's good sales really is, is storytelling at a very high level. So number three, unintended consequence. So walk us through what that unintended consequence and how you leverage that or utilize it. It's, it no, it's actually funny because I've been in the course of doing the new initiative here, Sam. I've been in, in some ways bleeding into the unintended consequence, maybe <laughs> a lot into the... But that, that it's the, the surprise discovery. It's the, the unintended consequence is the people at 3M that were trying to develop something entirely different and they ended up developing the post-it note or like Silly Putty, which I think was a NASA lab. I can't remember. Right. And it's just this complete unintended consequence. We didn't intend to do this and it just kind of happened. And that is, that's really compelling to people. I mean, people respect that. They get that. They understand why that happened. So, so originally we set out to accomplish X, Y, or Z. And along the way, we kept hearing people asking for this other thing instead, or along the way, we realized that the real secret sauce was blank instead. And I, the thing that's interesting is I see this a lot in commoditized businesses. It goes back to what you're yeah. saying, a commodity business that says, I'm going to use mailing systems for this example, mailing systems. Originally, those mailing system providers like the Quadians of the world, which is old Neopost or like Pitney Post, originally it was like they would sell postage meters. So they would sell boxes. So we were selling these boxes. And what we kept seeing hearing along the way is our clients were having this really big problem with undeliverable mail. So a lot of mail was sent back because they had the wrong addresses. And what the quadians of the world realized along the way is, hey, and it's an unintended consequence is, hey, there's actually a better business to be had in selling the software and the address verification technologies than there is, because it's a recurring revenue business too, than there is in the postage meters. And that's pretty compelling because like that gets to the core underlying root cause of their problem, which is a very, very expensive problem that they have along the way. I mean, you think about hospital billing, they send out, they get hundreds of thousands of dollars and in some cases, millions of dollars in returned mail with just wasted postage because they don't have the correct addresses of the people they're trying to bill because the people have moved. You know what I mean? So it's like right. kind of a simple problem, but it's this unintended consequences of like once upon a time we were selling boxes, but what we kept seeing from our customers is the box isn't really going to solve the problem. The thing that's going to solve the problem is the address verification. Yeah, I love that piece, unintended consequence. Is there an angle there, Steve, with, I don't know if it's unintended opportunity, but you know, you were talking about that evangelical that resonates with me in the industry I'm in, is that you know, not everything is pain. Not everything is a pain pill. There are some things that are just vitamin pills. Like, hey, there's a missed opportunity that you're either not aware of 
or perhaps you don't care and we need to move on to a different direction. But is there kind of an angle here from a missed opportunity or an unintended opportunity that may exist here? Or is this really just more challenge problem focused? No, it could be unintended opportunity. It could be unintended risk or missed. You're not seeing a risk that's there. So people are motivated by three things. And I got it. People are way smarter than this. Sam came up with this, not me. <laughs> Behavioral researchers and whatnot. People are motivated by fixing a problem, accomplishing a goal, or avoiding a risk. So if there's a risk that I'm not seeing, I'll tell you what, I, I interacted with my insurance agent at one point. He actually did unintended consequence tied to risk in a really, really good way. Where he's, he's kind of a normal state farm guy. You know what I mean? We have already have house and car and all that stuff. Yeah. And he said, Steve, it's interesting. Lately, I've been talking to a lot of customers and, and they didn't even realize the liability they have when you get all these kids and they have all the kids' friends over. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? The liability? Because I got four kids. I'm like, what are you talking about? Right. So he's creating, he's doing a great job of creating fear, uncertainty, and doubt, FUD. Sure. And he goes, you know, actually, it's one of these things where with State Farm, they actually have an entire line of insurance around this now that they didn't even have before around these umbrella policies. Because, you know, things will happen sometimes. The kid's friend comes over and breaks a leg, and then the parents come after you. And actually, that's not covering our homeowner's policy. And I'm like, right. oh, snap. <laughs> Unintended consequence. Right risk avoidance. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Guess what I bought? The umbrella policy. <laughs> you know, like I got a lot of kids over here all the time, Sam. Any given day, there's like 30 people go through the door. It's crazy. Right. I love that piece of it because it, it makes perfect sense that as savvy as buyers are, they don't, I always equate it back to a doctor, right? I mean, like even as, as intelligent and as aware the doctors are, they still rely on pharmaceutical reps and people to educate them on what's coming down the pipeline. It, it People don't know that most of the time, but there is that education circle, right? That you just don't know what you don't know. You can't know everything. And one thing that's worth noting, which is an overarching theme of all of these, is using what we call customer voice or client voice. Phrase things from the perspective of your prospect's customer, or sorry, your prospect's peers, your prospect's peers. So I talk to VPs of sales who tell me, you know, it's funny. I just had a conversation the other day with a, a director of sales operations who said, you know what I mean? And you get real specific like that. People believe their peers. There's credibility built into that relationship. People inherently don't believe sales folks. Right. Sadly. It's funny because you mentioned that. That seems like table stakes to me because the one thing that salespeople do have is a plethora of conversations under their belt. They do hear a lot of things. Like leverage that to the fullest. This is, I, I can't remember which book it is. It might be Challenger Customer. I can't remember what it is, but like which famous sales author, speaker, expert said, okay, how many conversations with their peers do they have a month? And people kind of agree, maybe five. Okay. How many conversations do you have with their peers a month? Hopefully it's a lot more than that. It's probably like right. 50. Right. So who has more of a, of a finger on the pulse of what's going on for their profession, them or you? Actually, you do. Yeah. Which seems strange. It, believe it or not, you actually have more information and insight and more expertise and you have more credibility than you give credit for. And this is one thing that frustrates me. I hear that awful stat that's always quoted that the buyer is 70% through their buying journey before they talk to the sales rep and the shift of balance of power has gone to the buyer. And Great. That's fine. What about the fact that the seller has more information than ever before? What about the fact that the salesperson could know far more about their prospective customers and prospects than they ever could have before? No one ever talks about that. I'll layer into that, Steve, that you know, one of the big things I always have hated is where reps or sales individuals, hey, I don't feel like I'm equipped to talk to someone. I'm not on their same level. I'm just a sales rep. I'm just an SDR. To your point, You've had a hundred conversations with his peers and he's probably had five. Like you're probably more business acumen than he does to some regard, certain elements of, of the business. Like you got to lean into that as a sales professional. That's the confidence you have to lean into. Correct, Steve, or am I way off base there? Way on base. Absolutely. And I'll give you an underutilized resource. If you have a sales engineer, solutions consultant, those types of roles, those people, and actually mine back in the day, a corporate executive board when I started my sales career and I was promoted to close business before I left to start Warsight, was Matt Dixon. Matt Dixon, the author of Challenger Customer. He was like, we would call them revenue captains. And 
I would like, I would totally monopolize him because he was so good on calls. It was crazy. <laughs> if you're not leveraging and learning from your sales engineers and solutions consultants or solutions architects or whatever term you use, you're crazy because all these people talk in these terms. They go, oh boy, it's interesting you bring that up. It reminds me of a conversation I was just having with one of our customers and they were dealing with this, they were dealing with that. And they do all this stuff. What I also like, you, you gave some context a little earlier, like you were, you were giving some of the background. Another piece of context I want to give is like, all of this is intended to get the meeting, right? You're trying to get the meeting. This is why I love this next one, X significant other. And I truly believe we miss this. And this is low hanging fruit in my estimation. We don't leverage this enough for all the opportunities, all the conversations we have to get future meetings. So walk me through kind of your thought process around X. By the way, I love the title, X significant other. Uh, that's one of my favorite ones. Yeah, we used to call ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend, but we wanted to be a little bit more you know, modern. I understand. Yeah, so because uh, who knows? But here's the deal. If you're trying to get in the door with someone that you've already talked to before, which is a very common scenario, maybe there was a meeting in your CRM two years ago. If you're trying to hook up with an ex, what do you not do? Everyone knows the answer. Don't talk about the past because you're like, do you remember how I used to play video games? And remember how I wouldn't shower and, you know... Right. I forgot your birthday. Remember all that? Like, you don't say that. So what do you do? You say, boy, it's been a long time since we talked. A lot's changed with me. I'm sure a lot's changed with you. And now we just take that and modify it to the plural. It's been a long time since we talked. A lot has changed with us. I'm sure a lot has changed with you. Let's get a cup of coffee to talk about it. That's effectively what you're doing. And it is unbelievably effective. Now, in some cases, people will just instantaneously say, sure, that sounds good. Great. Do you have your calendar in front of you? You schedule. And then this is not part of this, you know, what we have talked about for this podcast, but you use what we call overtime questions at the end. So over time, so you get the meeting first and then you say, hey, Sam, in order to make the best use of your time, do you mind if I ask you a couple questions? And this is where you get to ask your qualification questions, your pain questions or your, your goal questions. You can also ask who else would feel left out if they weren't included, all this stuff. Right. Uh, can I get your mobile number? A lot of people prefer I text them the day of to remind them. Sure, that sounds good. All those things. But it all comes back to that a lot's changed with us. Now, sometimes they'll say, well, what's changed with you? Right. That, that does happen. Yeah. Easiest answer ever. Actually, a lot of things have changed with us. We've had a lot of customers who've been asking for these different things. Now, we kind of go into the unintended consequences, new initiatives. We've signed up this customer that looks just like you guys. They were struggling with this challenge. We've seen this because of the pandemic, macroeconomic trends, anything related to a macroeconomic trend, the price of oil skyrocketing, whatever it might be related to your business, the great resignation. The great resignation is the biggest, most seismic shift in the American labor market ever. We're recording this in March, 2022. It was, it was, November 2021, November 2021, 4.5% of the American workforce changed jobs in one month. That's crazy. Yeah. So there's all these big macro things that you could reference as the changes. And then what do you do? Go right back to the calendar. I can't wait to talk to you about it, share more and hear more about what's changed with you. Do you have your calendar in front of you? Yeah. I love that piece. And I love how you said, hey, first and foremost, once the count, once this meeting is scheduled, now, hey, do you mind if I ask you a few questions to make the most of our time? And then this is the qualification, it's the pain, everything that you mentioned. I love those elements of it. And it's psychology. It's not my opinion. If go back to the book, Influence, Consistency and Commitment. It's the same reason that if you agree to go to a Tupperware party or a, you know, Amway or whatever, then um, you're probably going to buy something. Same thing. You know, it's funny. I even see that in some regards. I've used it in the past, different, a little bit tweaked where it was a colleague that's no longer with us, but I, I tried to leverage, hey, I know a colleague of mine and yours had a couple conversations a while back. They talked about this, this, and this. I think there was something there that we might be able to talk about, whatever it might be, Steve, to try and find that area, that synergy of what might have been, and hopefully there's good enough notes where you can really leverage it, and that, there, that that's an opportunity to engage. So I like that component. Let's talk about second vendor option. This is one, I got to be honest, I, I have not leveraged, and this was new to me. I've been trying to see how I can incorporate it. Talk to me about the second vendor option. Okay, so there's two flavors. Okay. The first one is, look, and I'm, I'll just call this out. I'll make this very concrete because we compete with Gong. Everyone knows Gong, right? So we do this all the time. Do you guys work with Gong? Great. Hey, we hear a lot of good things about Gong. Would you be willing to consider us as a second option if for no other reason you can keep them honest? 
when your renewal comes up? It's a simple yes or no. You're, they're either willing to look at you as a second option or they're not. And it's, it's very binary. So it's a simple, and, it, and another way you can also say this is, hey, Sam, look, I know you're happy with going. You guys doing well? Yep, happy with going, great. Would you be willing to look at us as a second option? Commerce off the table. This, we'll keep commerce off the table on this, but look at us as a second option. And it, again, if nothing else, you'll be able to leverage that when it comes time for your renewal, then get a better price. So what I'm doing there is I'm building value a, they probably want to see some alternatives because anybody coming to renewal always likes to just explore alternatives usually. Yep. And B, A, if they're going to quote me something, I can use that to get my renewal for less. Why not? Right? It's all gravy. It's all upside for me. And I'm taking commerce off the table so they don't feel like they're going to get hit up by a salesperson. Now, what happens in that scheduled meeting? A lot of times they start going, well, actually, we're not happy about this. We're feeling some pain about that. And these things come out. They're never going to say that in an unscheduled, unexpected cold call. Most people don't. Right. But when you get in a scheduled meeting and you're like, okay, talk to me. Like, what's been working well with Gong? What's going well? And da, 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 da. What would you like to see improved? On a scale of one to 10, what are they? A seven. Really interesting. Most of the time I hear like a nine. Why do you say a seven? What would it take to get a 10? And then you find there are actually cracks in the armor all over the place that you could take advantage of later on. So that's one flavor. Yeah, I like that. And then the other one is being very, very direct about this. Now you got to you got to feel out when it's the right time for the prospect to do this. But you basically say there are some specific things that we can do for you that they're not capable of. Would you be willing to have a look at that? And they'll usually say, "What they do? Revenue intelligence. We do coaching and behavior change, tracking, manager coaching." calibrating with multiple scorecards, some specific concrete things. So you give them some specific concrete things, throw it out there, throw it on the table. So it's a bit of a bold one. If you're in a situation where you're going after a competitive install base, you got to be bold. Like you're not going to be fluffy when you're going after a competitive install base. You're going to have to be very, very concrete right. when you're going after a competitive install base because in the mind of the buyer, and actually it's interesting, Sam, when people see this, the post on LinkedIn, the first slide I put has two seesaws. And in the one seesaw, it's a seesaw for buying, where on one side, you get the value of the solution compared to the price and the hassle of change. That is a, a seesaw that happens in the mind of the buyer. You can even think as a consumer, maybe at one point you went shopping for a mattress. You kind of went out there. You said, ah, this is more expensive than I thought. It's going to be more of a hassle than I thought. It's kind of hard to move the other one out. And uh, yeah, I'm just going to live with the one I got because the seesaw tilted in that favor. When we're talking about getting the appointment to start the sales process, the buying process at the top of the funnel, they're not evaluating your solution yet. They're evaluating if they should meet with you. So the seesaw is different. Now it's like, what's the value of the appointment or what I'm going to get for meeting, which is unfortunately the reason why a lot of these sending platforms like Sendoso, ReachDesk, the reason that they do work. My clients who test them, they, they come back and they, they say they work. Because if someone's going to give me a Yeti cooler... I'll take a meeting. You know, you're basically buying the meeting, but the value on the seesaw goes, right. and now all of a sudden I go, Yeti cooler in exchange for 30 minutes? Sure, I'll talk to your sales rep right. for 30 minutes. Why not? There's a couple of things that you mentioned in that. So once again, I like to tie it back to what we said at the very top, what works for you based on those kind of those levers that we discussed. Because there are certain situations that if that, to do a head-to-head, side-to-side, side-by-side comparison, it's going to require a lot of lift to do that comparison. That may not, this may not be an applicable tactic that you want to leverage. Like, hey, we got to integrate into your POS. We got to do this, this, and this for you to do that. There might be, to your point, what's the risk versus reward in this? But knowing that should guide you on, is this the right path to take from a tactical standpoint? Correct, Steve? Well said, because there will be certain, most of my clients, when they have, they're going after a competitor install base, there will be certain ones and they go, well, what if they use, yep. I'm making this up, Veeam. And they go, oh, no, if they're using Veeam, I don't even want to play. There are going to be situations that depending on what you sell and who you sell to, I don't even want to do the second vendor option. If I uncover that they use a certain competitor, right. I'm just going to go like this and walk away because I'm going to go to green. There are plenty of green pastures out there. Why, why ski down ski slopes that have been all tracked out you know, with snowboarders and everything else? If I can go to a place in the other part of the mountain that's fresh powder that I can carve in the hole all day. Totally, totally true. Yeah, I love that. And so there was another one that I actually have used. I actually love this piece, cut them off at the pass. That's one of my favorite ones that you mentioned. 
And that's actually where you're calling out. Executives have actually opted for the competitors. But here's why they decided that that wasn't the best path. So walk us through that piece of it. Caught them off of the pass is the old Westerns. <laughs> you know what's funny? Sam, let me give you something that's funny about this. I've done this training around the world. Really? That's the one cultural thing that always sticks. <laughs> I don't care if you're doing this in Asia, India. I don't care if you're doing this in Eastern Europe, Central Europe, UK, Spain, Middle East. And I go, do any of you know Westerns? They're like, of course we know Westerns. I'm like, what? How do you know what? Anyway, so in the old Westerns, the sheriff rides ahead, cuts off the villain at the pass. Simple concept. Like we all kind of understand that. So what do you do in a cold call? And here's how this one came about. We were making a ton of cold calls at my Vorsight company that we sold, the outsource business, for a lot of different clients. And sometimes with the clients, you would hear the same objection every time. It was like you literally could predict which objection it was going to be before you picked up the phone. You knew what they were going to say. So we said, forget this baloney of waiting until they object when we know it's coming. We're going to cut that objection right off. We're going to say, hey, look, the reason I'm calling is because I know that this is a bad time of year. I know that you guys are, we would call CFOs who are closing the books. The reason I'm calling is I know you're closing the books. I know you have an audit that's going to be coming and you've got auditors that are going to be coming in in about three weeks. And that's why I'm calling. See what I mean? Right. So the, the objection becomes the reason the why. The purpose. Yep. It becomes the purpose. Exactly. That's exactly why I'm calling. And then you lead into, because people who are closing their books feel like they're on a hamster wheel and they've said, I have to really take a look at this process. They've always been saying, I got to take a look at the process, but then they kind of kick the can down the road. Right. Let's schedule some time. I know you're going to be in the middle of it. Let's schedule some time so you can actually pull it up to 20,000 feet. Look at your process. Do you have your calendar on? See what I've actually had this used on me before See, recently. And it was one of those type of sales that was really just in the back of my mind. It was kind of this similar where it was, Every year I get caught in this vicious cycle that it's a bad time of year and I just get caught in this renewal cycle. I'm like, I'll just kick it down the can for another year. I'll try to tackle it next year. And then I always forget where things get busy and I keep kicking it. And someone actually used that same exact technique on me to say, listen, I know this is a hectic time of time of year for SaaS, specifically in the retail space, because everyone is blowing and going at this time. This is the time to evaluate it. Let's take 30 minutes, figure out if there's a path forward. If there's not, Stay with what you're doing. But if there is, at least now is we can get ahead of it. And it just resonated with me that I actually need to do this sooner than later. So I love that component. Yeah, I love it. I'll give you another example for this is like, you know, this Riverside.fm platform that we're recording on today. All right. I would, I'm not a podcaster. You are. I would suspect I have a hypothesis that switching podcast platforms is kind of a pain in the neck. Is that probably right? So I would lead by saying, hey, Sam, the reason I'm calling you, like, love your podcast. I'm using some three by three research, three points on the company you're contacting, three minutes of research. Love your podcast. I've been listening to when I run, especially that last one you did with Steve Richard on those eight tactics, really cool stuff. Hey, most podcasters I talk to tell me that switching platforms is an enormous pain in the ass. And they would never think about doing it, which is why they're so sticky, because you got all your content, you got all your configurations and your settings dialed in the way you like it. You work with a post-production editor in a certain way. That's actually the reason why I'm calling. There are people who have figured out, we have actually figured out how you can switch platforms and make it so it's like a push of a button and migrate everything over. Would that be something that would be worth taking a look at? I love that piece of it. You're just calling out what's already known. Like you, I know it's a pain in the ass to switch. Like I, I know it, it's cumbersome. I hate it. I don't want to tackle it. But owning that and realizing that there are other platforms that might be better suited for me is probably a good use of my time. And that's, that's a valuable use of my time. And oh, by the way, one of the things we'll do in the meeting, Sam, is share there are five best practices we've seen in podcast post-production, especially that we can that we'll share with you. So even if you don't do business with us, that's fine. We'd like to at least give you some insights in exchange for your time. Yeah, makes sense. Let's go to the next one because I like this. I got to ask where the name came from. P.T. Barnum. <laughs> I don't even want to assume where it came from. So, but this is the next tactic. But first, tell me what, help me understand P.T. Barnum. We had some clients when the Voresight days where when you saw their technology, you were like, holy shit. Like, wow, like this is incredible. 
and you tried to describe it and you just could never do it. You could never, it can, it just never worked. Right. So we would say like, look, Sam, I know you get pitched by software vendors all the time. This is the sort of thing when you see it, you're going to be blown away. Even if you don't move forward, you're going to walk away saying like, I've got a new perspective on things. And now here's another thing that's interesting about this. So the origin is P.T. Barnum, come one, come all, see the bearded lady. Arguably, P.T. Barnum was the best salesperson of all time. P.T. Barnum could basically take air and get people to line up and pay you know, a lot of money to, to see it. I mean, this, this was his sure. claim to fame. Now, how do you go about doing that? Well, there's got to be that element of intrigue, that element of like, what's behind the curtain? Um, very famously, back in the day, Domo, I used to work with Domo, the business intelligence company. Yeah. They, at a trade show, would put a like a black like velvet like tent over their their booth right and you would have to sign an nda to go inside <laughs> guess what happened everybody's lining up to go because they were doing, they right. were leveraging their inner pt barnum now there's another interesting corollary to this or not corollary but another interesting kind of adjacency which is humans are visual so if you break down auditory visual and kinesthetic visual ends up being it's about 50 percent auditory something like 20% and then kinesthetic, the rest, something like that. So especially senior executives tend to be more visual than the average people in the population. What does that mean? That means it's hard for them to understand until they see it. So what we actually started doing, this was a few years ago and it was very effective, is if you had a prospect on the phone and they, they were paying attention and they didn't really get it and you kind of felt like you were losing them, you say, look, Sam, just are you in front of a browser? Open up a browser. I want you to go to execvision.io. Click the green button. Just click the green button. And they would like watch the moving animated video or the they would see some moving screenshot or something and go, mm -hmm. I promise you, if you see the rest, you're going to be blown away. Do you have your calendar in front of you? And it was wildly effective to get a visual person who is trying to understand an auditory conversation, but it's not the language of their brain. And you get them to actually look at your website Come one, come all, see the bearded lady, P.T. Barnum, convert, get a meeting. So I like that for the simple fact that there are solutions that rely, are much more visual solutions, right? It's fair to say, whether you're a visual learner, auditory, all that stuff, there are solutions that just have to be seen to be understood, right? Is that kind of what we're getting to? Like, hey, people tell me you got to see it to get it. Look, I'm talking to general counsels, general counsel all the time, GCs. Who have seen this, they tell me you have to see it to get it. I love that piece. Of I know. And now I'll cut it off at the past. Look, I know your time bills at $1,000. If you're calling lawyers, by the way, this is always kind of fun. The thing that's fun about lawyers is they know what their billable rate is, unlike other people. Right. So when you're calling lawyers, it doesn't matter if they're a GC or outside counsel working at a law firm. They're like, 30 minutes of my time, that's going to cost you $400. It's like, look, so I'll, we would cut it off the best. I know your billable rate is $800 an hour. I promise you later on when you're looking back at this, you're going to say, I would have spent $2,000 to see what I saw. And when you come at the lawyers like that, they kind of chuckle a little bit and they're like, all right, fine, I'll give you that time. Go ahead. Let me see what you got. I'll schedule with you. But that's a great insight. You know, the senior people are actually much more, I, I would have, from a strategic standpoint, I guess I get that, but that is great. It kind of does fly in the face of, I remember old days of never show a demo, never show a slide on the first call. It's all discovery and it's asking a lot of questions. It's almost like an interrogation. It almost flies in the face of that, right, Steve? That shift has kind of evolved into lean into it if you are a visual solution. Is that fair to say? Last, last three years, it's flipped three to four. Last three to four, buyer behavior has changed such that if you get on their first scheduled call and you think you're going to do the interrogation and the 21 questions, most don't go for it. Now, I'll give you my favorite tactic for this that comes from um, Richard Harris. Did you ever have Richard Harris on yeah. the show? He'd be a good guy for the show. I have it, but definitely. Yeah, great guy. So, and I use this every time I have a scheduled call with someone that I don't know very well. So I'll, he says, and I say this, I'll say, hey, Sam, nice meeting you. Now, do you have 30 minutes? Just do a time check. Great. Okay, so we can do this one of two ways. One, I've got a lot of questions for you. And then, you know, I want to share the technology with you, but two, I'm sure you probably want to get more context and you just want to see some of the technology now. Would you rather have more context or have me ask my questions first? Which would you prefer? 
So it ends up being, I call it a choose your own adventure. I call that the choose your own adventure. Now, this is a tactic for a scheduled call. You don't do this on a cold call, right. on a scheduled call. And it's incredible. It parts like the Red Sea. 50% of the time they say, give me more context, show me some stuff. You flash, and here's the trick. If they say that, you can't harbor cruise demo. You can't start, and then now we're going to look at this, and now we're going to look at this. It's, no, no, no. You, you flash like one screen, give them a little context, like two minutes, three minutes worth, and then you say, hey, before I share anything else with you, Sam, can I ask you a couple more questions? Just so I show you the right stuff that you care about, you flip it right back into discovery. If they say, ask your questions, just don't ask too many. So what I'm, what the modern buyer is doing, and this is supported by our technology, we see this in the patterns and in, in, within our conversation intelligence product for our customers is an interweaving of the discovery questions and all those kinds of things you have to ask in the context of a conversation where the buyer has context and they're also getting value and walking away with value. So it's not like, no, you have to ask every question before you show them a screen. That doesn't work that way anymore. It's not 1990. You know what I mean? Or never, ever, ever say pricing, even a range of pricing until you have these 35 fields filled out in Salesforce. Like, come on. That's just not how the modern buyer will work because we've all become consumers of technology and innovation. The expectation for how we buy and adopt different solutions and technology is so different because of these, because of smartphones. I mean, it's just like, if all of a sudden I learn about your podcast, like I am listening to it when I'm running tomorrow morning. Right. You know what I mean? And I'm getting value right off the bat. I love that piece for the simple fact that, Hey, I, I always love time checks. Hey, listen, I think we got about 30 minutes giving them the opportunity. Hey, I'm gonna have a lot of questions for you, but I'm sure you're going to want to get into the visual aspect of things. Where do you prefer to begin and letting them kind of own that space, right? They're leaning into it. They're involved right out of the get-go, helping them kind of educate where they want to go in the path. And I think, I think that's where sales has, de- has gotten a little bit more complicated, not complicated, but it's evolved because it was so like, you got to ask your questions, you got to do your bant and you got to do all this stuff. And now it's a fine dance. You, you got to be nimble enough to weave in those things, very sophisticated from a standpoint of, all right, here's the one, like you said, I'll show you a little bit. Hey, do you mind if I ask you a few questions so I can really educate on where I want to go from here so it's worth the rest of your time? That's a fine line, Steve. I think that's where the craft comes into it and being better at your craft is so essential. Amen to that. Amen to that. So a little bit of a tangent at the end there with the choose your own adventure. No, I love it. That was a bonus, I guess. But now we've got, you've got your- The last one. Oh, we didn't do crawl, walk, run. The crawl, walk, run. This is one of my favorite ones. So give me some context behind this one. I think I use that term way too often. But I love crawl, walk, run. So this came about, we, we had this client that was selling lease. There was this kind of like lease accounting standards thing, generally accepted accounting principles, gap accounting. Yep. They changed how they, they account for real estate leases. So it was a government mandate. So that's your demand type. And they had us calling into private companies because publicly traded companies had a requirement for changing how they accounted for their leases it was earlier. And then the private companies were behind that. So what ended up happening is you, you would call a private company and call into like a, you know, the accountants in the private company and say, when I talk to VPs of accounting at private companies, they tell me they're in one of three places as it relates to the new lease audit standards, lease accounting standards. A, they're kind of starting to think about it, but haven't, haven't done much yet. They're planning. B, they're at a point where they do have some manual processes in place. They're not fully compliant, but they're on the way. Or C, they've actually decided to fully leverage some kind of a system or technology, homegrown or third party, so that there's some automation around it. Where are you in that? Are you bucket A, bucket B, bucket C? And what, what's, what really works about this one, Sam, is, and you can do this, by the way, for anything. You can do this right. for almost, yeah. it's almost universal. It, what works really well about Crawl, Walk, Run is it makes people feel okay to admit they suck at something. Right. You know what I mean? Versus if I just call you and say like, hey, you guys are probably behind the times, right? Like, what's your biggest problem? <laughs> They're like, what do you mean? What's my biggest? I don't want to air my dirty laundry. I don't want to admit I have a dirt, big problem to someone who just cold called me out of the blue, who I've never heard of before. Versus I talk to someone who's like, hey, look, I, I talked to hundreds of CFOs and they're in one of these three buckets. I can relate to that right away. Well, the truth is we haven't done anything on it yet. You know, we're a little bit behind, but we're starting to think about it. 
Yeah, this one was the one that I felt like is the most applicable that you could be used across the most broadest segment of, of really any industry, right? Because it, it's really it's really universal from that standpoint. But I love what you said that it almost gives them the okay to feel okay in admitting I'm in one of these three. I'm really far along. I haven't even started or I've kind of dabbled my toe in it, but I don't know enough to be dangerous. And it allows you to go, all paths lead to the same result. And I'm okay with that. You know, for, for exec vision, when we do this, say, look, when we talk to chief revenue officers in one of three places, one, they're not recording yet, but they see the value of it, especially with everybody working from home. Two, they've started recording and they have this like big pile of call recordings. They don't really do as much with it as they'd like, or they try to do some things themselves. It's clunky, frustrating. Or three, they're actually leveraging transcription in some way to surface coachable moments and, and use call recordings for coaching and those things. Where are you in that continuum? People tell you. People tell you. Is there an answer in that scenario, Steve? If they say, hey, we're really far down the path, like we're using it, we're killing it. Yes. Literally, if someone said, look, we're, we're using Gong right now, we've been doing it for nine months, very well adopted, all the alerts and triggers are set up, blah, 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 blah. You know what I say to them? I love hearing it. Because here's the other thing you got to be as a salesperson. You got to be a person, which means when I hear that someone is doing really well with something, did I uncover pain? No, there wasn't any pain to uncover. Did I help them understand a goal to accomplish? No, they're already accomplishing it. So guess what I do? Walk away. Just walk away. Because, and walk away saying, I'm happy for you. I'm glad to hear that things are going well. I'm glad to hear you figured out. Am I going to get a sale out of that? No. Can I mark that account disqualified? Not worth our time? And oh, by the way, if Gong calls our customers, they called Intuit, for example, where they got, you know, we've got thousand plus users. I would suspect they would hear the same thing. Yeah, we got this covered. We're, we're doing really well. We're very happy. We're seeing great business outcomes. And that is fine. So if they're already running and if they're running with one of your competitors, go to the next one. You got to kiss a lot of uh, frogs to find your prince, right? <laughs> hey, well, Steve, we covered a lot. So I want to how do people learn more about you, Steve, more about exec vision, the whole nine yards? Those tips of the day, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of how you found me. And actually, I'll put it, a link for the show notes. So connect with yeah. me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn did this thing where they made me an influencer, which that and 10 bucks will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. So it's kind of doesn't mean much. But, but it, if you see me, you can follow me. But what, what's better is if you click the hamburger icon, the three dots to the right, and then say connect. Connect with me on LinkedIn. And then I put a link here for the show notes for like all of my tips of the day. You can just scroll through them. Great, great way to get you know free value. Sales has been really good to me, Sam, in my career. And I feel as if I have to give back. That's awesome, man. Well, hey, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time tonight, Steve. Sam, I appreciate you doing the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Sales Samurai Podcast with your host, Sam Capra. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast and visit salessamurai.io and join the conversation, access show notes, and discover bonus content.